Hello Mavs Universe, whether you're listening at home, watching on YouTube, wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us live, sort of in the past, from Studio 41. My name is Bobby Corella. this is Mark Falwell, this is Brian Damaris, Mike Marshall is also here too, we invited him. Featuring Mike Marshall. With, with Mike Marshall and Mike Marshall. Uh, we're here to talk some basketball. Mavs season, Mavs preseason just ended. First undefeated preseason in franchise history. The vibes are immaculate. Uh, joy is being felt. Fun is being had. And we're here to break it all down and then some. But before we do that, we have a big announcement. Whoa, big announcement. Very big announcement. Okay. So you might recognize these two guys from many places. Yeah. Uh, the broadcast on Valley, uh, Valley Sports Southwest. The radio show on the ticket. Take that with you. But uh, I think you're going to start the recognizing loon? them. From I know I recognize him from the loon mainly. That's yeah. back in the day. That's back <laughs> when I did not have gray hair. But uh, I think you're going to start recognizing them in Studio 41 because, boys, we're about to be teammates. Yes. Well, we already were teammates, actually. Well, yeah, yeah. but uh, now even more teammates. Yes. We we're a part yeah. of the Mavs family. Yeah. It just felt right. Yeah. So what's, what's happening? What are, what are we doing? Well, I think we're going to uh, bring some element of our Take That With You Patreon podcast to the Mavs universe through Mavs.com. Um, and I think that we'll have uh, lots of interviews and some uh, other things that are going to be happening this year. We're, you know, the plane hasn't fully taken off yet, so I can't give away the whole flight plan. Um, I mean, you know, I, I know a pilot sometimes likes to tell you what the cruising altitude is, but mm-hmm. we haven't determined our cruising altitude yet. But yeah, our podcast will be uh, different than what we do on our Patreon, but uh, it will be available on here in a different incarnation, right? Yes, and I think our first one's going to be an interview with head coach Jason Kidd. We yep. did release part of that on our Patreon, but we kept real juicy parts, yep. uh, some meaty stuff for uh, our Mavs fans here, free of charge. So uh, yeah, we're going to we're excited to be part of the uh, universe here all season. I think iteration is the word I should have used a minute ago, by the way. Sorry. Iter- iteration? iteration? I, I, yeah. said, I said incarnation. I, said, oh, I think I should have okay. said iteration. That was iteration. bothering me. Yeah, iteration. Yeah, iteration. Yeah, yeah, iteration. Yeah, yeah, iteration. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you corrected that. What's Jake's favorite color? Chartreuse, um, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Are you, was that, exactly right. Was that in part one or is that same that That's part Well, two? I kind of spoil it. That was a teaser for what's to come. Good, good. All right, great stuff. Now they're never going to watch or listen. All right, we gotta we gotta restart this thing. Delete that chopper. <laughs> uh, okay, the Mavs just wrapped up, man. Four zero in the preseason. They won a game by sixty eight points. That it kind of counted, sort of. Uh, made me feel very good. But it is preseason, so I don't know how much you can actually take away from it. So overall, just impressions of what we just saw over the last week and a half or so. Well, it was good. I think that. Um you know, I said this maybe on the telecast last Wednesday that the biggest building, somebody's still got to pour the concrete and put the rebar down for the foundation. So that's it. So you, you know, have at least started the process of building a strong foundation. Training camp practices probably are a little bit even better indication of what you've done, but obviously those aren't put on Valley sports like the four preseason games were competing against another team. But so far, so good. I like the foundation of what they've done, and now we'll start seeing it in application in regular season games this week. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the first couple of games, they were shooting more twos than 
they would normally, I think, where people were kind of freaking out that they were not going to shoot threes anymore and all that kind of stuff. And then you saw in the Charlotte game, it was more kind of what we're used to, but there's going to be more of an emphasis on kind of trying to go inside out when Porzingis is in there. So, uh, you know, I viewed the preseason as I think they view it as, okay, we're going to try to work on things that are new because we know how to work Luca and four shooters. Like that's, that's common knowledge. That's in the DNA. That that's easy to do. So they were kind of trying to force the action in some of their other ways. Try to install some basics of their team defense concepts that are going to be new. Um, so, you know, I think they were also trying to figure out what rotations they wanted. We saw a little bit again in the dress rehearsal, which was the Charlotte game, uh, somewhat of how they want to do it and what players will probably see more of than not. Um, so. I, I think we we got a glimpse of what they're trying to install and what they were focusing on in those practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, a glimpse of that that we'll see come to fruition come regular season. Yeah, if you uh, go out there in your dress rehearsal and you cause my wife to look up from what she's working on during the game and go, are they okay <laughs> about the Charlotte Hornets? Then I'm, I'm going to take that as a positive. I know it's preseason. I know it, you know, preseason records don't matter and it doesn't really, you know, equate to anything. I think the Bucks are like uh, notoriously don't win preseason games the last couple of years uh, and they're a pretty stinking good team. But I mean, I think it's also a lesson to Charlotte that you don't just come in here and win your home opener against the Mavs, our home opener against the Mavs and get away with it. That's right. We'll yeah. put 60 on you. We'll That's put right. 60 on you real quick. Um, but I mean, it's one of those things where nobody talks about it unless it's a negative thing. You know, it's like draft prep. Like, no one's talking about you during the combine or leading up to the draft unless it's something negative coming out. So to see the guys out there having a lot of fun, uh, winning basketball games together, and like Mark said, training camp practices are more uh, indicative of what I care about overall. Um, But I'm not even going to dive into stats or, you know, what this lineup did in preseason necessarily because it all comes out, you know, the 21st. That's when it matters. Um, Yeah, the preseason that mattered the most is kind of funny to hear you talk about that. There's one example I can think of where preseason games mattered, and this was the 2000-2001 season, the first time the Mavs made the playoffs under Don Nelson as the head coach, and they'd had a decade-long playoff drought. And Nelly said before the year that year, we, we want to make the playoffs, so this young team that has never made the playoffs needs to learn immediately what you have to do to win games. So we're going to emphasize winning preseason games. And that, of course, is when they played eight preseason games, not four. And I think they went six and two in that particular preseason. That's the one example I can ever think of where a coach really placed emphasis on winning preseason games that particular year. But, yeah, generally speaking, um, you know, they'll always say, well, it's a competition. So, of course, you know, we want to win at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, it's who you're going to have on the floor trying to win those games at the end. But I liked what they did. Would it be kind of deflating if – even if the message is being received and the players are all in, whatever, like you get a new coach, this is kind of like the the new era, and then you go 0-4 or 1-3. Like, wouldn't that kind of sort of take the wind out of your sails yeah. a little bit if you just laid some eggs? People would be more upset about – people would feel more negative about that than they would feel positive about a good preseason. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would say that's, that's probably a fair characterization. But if Absolutely. you look at, like, the first preseason game in that first quarter in the first half – KP was still trying to find out where he was supposed to be on the floor. It wasn't really comfortable. It was, okay, I'm going in there, but there's a center in there, so I'm clogging <laughs> up a little bit, and there's too many defenders in there. And Luca was trying to force some things. And and then you saw that develop to where the Charlotte game, now we, we kind of know, okay, here are the spots where 
he can seal off, he can roll a little bit. Um, you know, I think the biggest takeaway is that KP's healthy, right? And you see that mainly on the defensive end where he had two blocks in each of the first two halves that he played of the first two games and then uh, didn't have a block in the Charlotte game but still played great defense. I think in the Charlotte game he was, what, 17-9 and nine in that, that half he played mm-hmm. or a little bit more than that. Yeah, um, you're exactly right, 17-9. Mm-hmm. and nine. So, I think it was 7-8 of eight from the floor in that half that he played in the yeah. Charlotte game. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, shooting both inside and outside. So that to me is the main takeaway of, of preseason is that he looks healthy. He looks back to, you know, the reason he's called the unicorn is because what he, the the rim protection he can give you defensively and the stretchability that he has offensively, and he wasn't able to do that, frankly, in his entire Mavs tenure because of injury. So now that he's healthy, he can be the KP of, you know, New York defensively, and then be a combination of what he was offensively in New York and what he was under Rick. You know, I equate it to uh, if you remember Dirk under Don Nelson, and we've talked about this a lot, mm-hmm. where he was basically, a, you know, face the basket, kind of trail threes with Nash. Uh, you know, Nelly loved that kind of spread ball, and that's what he did. And then Avery Johnson came in and said, I'm going to turn you into Tim Duncan. Back to the basket, you know, he didn't shoot that many threes, frankly, and he mm-hmm. just was a traditional power forward. And then Rick came in and kind of melded the two together perfectly. And I think that's what we're going to see, hopefully, here, is that we're going to take – New York Porzingis, and I don't think we should resort all the way to that, and Rick Porzingis, and kind of meld it to where it's the perfect fit. Let's hope it turns out like that. That would be fantastic if it did. Yeah, and you can't overstate, I think, him rushing back last season. Um, I don't know if he said it publicly, but he rushed back last season to get back quicker than he should have. Um, and just knowing people around him, that's, that was a big deal. He wasn't ready. He should have taken more time. Um, so seeing him fully healthy, and I got to admit that first post up, game one, uh, over there next door, it wasn't great at the A's. It wasn't great, and I definitely held my breath. I was like, I need this one to go really well. Let's get this one, and it didn't go great. But every time he gets a post up, I just don't want it to be a storyline. Like I don't want people to be asking Jason Kidd about post ups and and post game press conferences. Like it drove Rick crazy, and Rick kind of got to the boiling point with it. Right with that one, I can't remember who it was who he snapped on, but. Um, KP needs to be able to contribute everywhere on the floor, mm-hmm. whether it's posting up, whether it's trail threes, whether it's, uh, you know, create your own shot via drive. And I think he has that. And that's why you said it. he is the unicorn. He has a skill set that literally no one else in the league has. And so if you can't find a way to unlock that, I feel like that's more on you than it is on him at some point. You know what I mean? Hmm. I mean, I think the beautiful thing about maximizing him is that you can post him up five times a game without stalling the offense, right? Like, seemed like last year, and last year everything went bad basically all year. It was just a, a cluster of a year for basically every team in the league. But when they wanted to post up KP, it was like, all right, everyone stop what you're doing. Mm-hmm. KP, go to the block, get open. All right, I'm going to pass it to you now. Whereas, and again, it's only preseason. But against Charlotte, the last like five minutes of the first half, they were just – running the clock out, basically Luka, KP, pick and roll, pick and pop. Once they finally switched, all right, now dump it in the post. Like they were setting it up. It was like the the outcome of the play, but it wasn't the play. It was like a direction that it could go. Um, and so you can do that without bogging down the offense, which also maximizes Luka because you're keeping Luka in space. You're keeping them hunting mismatches together. And that's one thing. I felt like last year it was a lot more Luka Dwight 
It was a lot more Luca Willie and less Luca KP. Like it felt like, and maybe maybe this isn't even true, but it felt like KP screened for Luca less often last year than he did the season before, which means they didn't really they weren't dance partners that much. You know, well what was happening was that they were teams figured it out, so they were just putting a rangy wing on KP, mm. and so Luca was like, well I don't want that guy guarding me, so why am I doing a pick and roll with with uh, with KP? Mm. And really it was not a pick and roll, it's a pick and pop. Well. It was really a slip. It wasn't even a pick. Yeah. Honestly. So why am I? I don't want. And that's what the Clippers. That's how the Clippers took him out of the game because I don't want to switch on to Batum or whoever it was that was guarding KP. It was Kawhi for yeah. A lot of that, you know? So he's at. So if there's no pick involving KP, then he's out of the offense and he's sitting in the corner. Like that was all they had. That was the. If there's no pick action with or slip action or whatever you want to call it with Luca, that was the extent of the offense. And so. That's what teams figured out is I can guard. I don't have to guard him with the big and have Luca hunt that mismatch. I can guard him with the wing, and mm. and so that's why you he needs to be multidimensional in his offense to take away his ease of being defended. Yeah, and it felt it just felt like everything was very just you know kind of flow offense is sort of uh, founded upon creativity, right, and flowing and sort of fluid movement. But last year it felt very stagnant. Like every possession felt like. Two guys in the corner, stay in the corner. You know, the guy in the wing, maybe you can do some stuff, but otherwise, like, if nothing's there with KP, then it's going to be a Luka ISO. But so far, it feels – there feels like it's much more just natural ball movement, natural human movement. But mm-hmm. maybe I'm just – maybe I'm just – To your point, Bob, I just juice. looked it up. KP, 615 picks set for Luka. Dwight Powell, 614. Okay, and Dwight was basically a DNP for, like, half the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And when he did start, Yeah, I mean, what are the minutes in yeah. those games, right? Yeah. How many minutes did they play in the season? Right, and it's sure Willie Cauley-Sign actually had the most. Willie set the most screens for Luka yeah. last year? 646, wow. yeah. It really and, is and a new era. And I'd love era. to see Porzingis roll more, you know. I, I, he's, you know, the, just popping. You know, you saw in the Olympics that Luka loves having – a role, a, a role guy, a vertical game. You saw him force-feeding Boban those those moves mm-hmm. in the Clippers series, right? He loves having that vertical ability so it's not just him and four guys on the outside. And so I think that's part of the calculus of, of starting Dwight and uh, having a center in there, a traditional center, and also when they do play five out, having Porzingis be that guy because it's it absolutely keeps that defense honest because that guy has got to, you know, Guard against the lob. It's it's what Atlanta and Trey Young do. They guard against the lob. Mm-hmm. It was what Harden and Capella did. Now it's Trey Young and Capella. You guard the lob. You guard guard the the feed, the, the mid range or the three, and and it puts them in a box. And so if it's just him and four guys on the outside, that's much easier to defend and become stagnant. Yeah. Do you want? Do you have any? Uh, would you like to hear some things on Dwight Powell? I would love the to idea, hear some things on Dwight Powell. The idea of him starting. Mm-hmm. So uh, just a few things from my notes that I did for preseason. You know, just a reminder. Um, and I don't have even 2019 notes, but the starting lineup of Luca, Tim, Finney Smith, Powell, Porzingis started quite a few games mm-hmm. and with a great deal of success, by the way, in 2019. That's pre-injury, right? Yes, pre-Achilles injury for Dwight. Not just offensively suffered. either, by the way, defensively yeah. as well. They were, they were actually pretty good. Yeah. Soft schedule, but still they were good. But you know what? Okay, so, so I, I mean, I, let me just pick up on that point. I always think that a good offensive unit when everybody points out their defensive numbers, I think those things go hand in hand because mm-hmm. if you're efficient on offense, 
then theoretically you're harder, then you're going to be better on defense because the other team is taking the ball out of the basket and they're not taking the ball off rebounds, long shot, long rebounds, and off stops and getting a chance to get out of transition and score. Mm-hmm. And the numbers will always consistently show that offenses will operate more efficiently whenever their defense has gotten a stop and they're not taking the ball out of their own basket. And having something we don't talk about enough in basketball. Yeah. Football, I feel like it's brought up every single time because there is a field you're playing on and you're right. like marching down it, right? So if you leave your defense in a bad position, yes. you're going to get seven put on you. Right. NBA, you never think of it. You're just like, oh, that was a really bad shot with a long rebound and it's going another way. Yeah, there's two. That's a five-point swing and no one just like registers that as it's Especially happening. Especially since we're not – haven't been a traditionally great, great transition D team. Yeah. But the the funny thing though is that sorry and then and then we can get back yeah, to the sure. numbers. The funny thing is though, I think last year's Mavs team either scored the same whether their opponent missed or scored. Um, they scored equally as efficiently or maybe even more efficiently when their opponent made a shot, mm-hmm. which is a very good indication that you guys don't just are not good at running. And last year it felt <laughs> like they flubbed a lot of three on ones. This mm-hmm. year, hopefully, that's not the case. But anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's certainly an outlier. I did not realize that those numbers were like that. I've never seen year. anything like that before. Yeah, that, that is, uh, you know, look, unique things certainly happen in the game. But that's definitely an outlier for sure that they did that last year. So, Powell, I, again, I don't even have the 2019 numbers. These are just at the end of the season last year. Uh, he started 11 of the last 16 games for the team. The team went 12-4 and four in those 16 games. Uh, in that time frame, nine points, almost six rebounds, 22 minutes per game, uh, shot 76% from the floor. Uh, Over the last 24 games of the regular season, Dwight shot 78%. And his restricted area field goal percentage in that time frame was 80%. Now, in in any given year, the league average for shooting in the restricted area, just so everybody has a good comp, is usually around 63 to 64%. You know, maybe it's a little more than 64 some years or a little bit less, but it's in that ballpark of 63 or 64%. So when an individual is shooting 80% in the restricted area, I mean, that's better than Gobert, that's better than Giannis, because those guys are usually like mid-70s percentage guys. Giannis is 75, 76, Gobert will be 73, 74, 75, somewhere in that kind of ballpark. So when you're talking about a guy shooting 80% in the restricted area, then that shows you what a vertical threat, to Brian's point earlier, he can be. And I think that we'll see how it actually happens in practice. I would assume that him as a starter is still somebody that kind of like last year in those examples would be uh, low 20 minutes per game. Is that what you're thinking? I mean, maybe. maybe, Yeah, I mean, we saw it. it. It wasn't player for player, but oftentimes center would check out six, seven minutes in the first quarter and like sometimes not even come back in the rest Mm -hmm. of the half. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll see Maxi in there, uh, which I view Maxi with KP as being KP playing the five, you know. Um, and then you'll see Cauley Stein, and you'll probably close games depending on matchups with KP at the five a lot and surrounding with shooters and probably stick uh, either Brunson or Bullock in there depending on who's hot and who's playing well and things like that. So I wouldn't say that starting the five means that's the way they're going to play the whole time, obviously. Uh but um, part of what Kid said in our interview um, on, on our Patreon version of the interview is, you know, he doesn't want to give them, you know, the opponents the look of KP at the five right up front, right? Yeah. You know, and, and try to, to mix up kind of what they're seeing. But I went through, I think a couple of weeks ago on our podcast of the clean the glass numbers from Powell pre-injury mm-hmm. 2019, 2020. And of all the lineups uh, that year, the best lineups were with him in there. 
and they were really good. I mean, that was the historic offense year, and a lot of that season was piled to five. So right. we're not really taking a step back. Uh, I know it's sexy to say, well, KP at the five is the best lineup surrounded by shooters, but uh, the numbers indicated that they were doing just fine with pre-injury Powell in there. And I think you and I both, towards the end of last season, you remember after those Sacramento losses and we were just kind of, you know, wring our hands about how to get these first quarters jump started mm-hmm. and and winning those games and and really the team kind of started taking off on that nice little run they had at the end of the year when Powell was inserted in the starting lineup for en- en- energy purposes yep. and and all of that and I think we thought that would continue in the playoffs and obviously uh, they decided not to start that way and then made a huge adjustment mid-season or mid-series with Boban um, but so, yeah, I'm fully on board with this, and I think something Kid told us was that the players were on board with this. You yeah. know, in our interview on the Patreon, patreon.com slash masspod, um, that we just posted, um, he said that, you know, part of what he wants to do is not just come in here and dictate, but listen and have 360-degree communication, and that not only is there this kind of uh, executive cabinet of Nico, J. Kid, Dirk, Finley, Casey Smith, et cetera, but there's a player cabinet of Luca, KP, and Tim, and he went to them and said, you know, what do you guys think? And they all unanimously were like, DP. And so, to me, that, you know, I really like that. Yeah, a couple things to throw into the Dwight and KP discussion. Uh, Talking to Dwight over the years just about, I mean, you could just ask him about a simple pick and roll, about why you did this, why you're here at this moment, and he's going to talk for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, a wrestling technique of like where your leverage is, where your like hips are, where the defenders playing me. And I almost want KP to just like hang out with him for a week and just ask Dwight like, okay, you're always, well, this year you're shooting a three pretty well in the preseason, but in the past he's setting a screen to get leverage on a man to get to the basket. They know that everyone on the court, the other coach knows that that's what Dwight Powell does. Mm -hmm. And he still gets there faster than you and is dunking on you and getting points out of it. He's by far the best screener on the team. Yeah. And so I need KP to kind of understand that might be the next thing he he learns, right, if you're going to unlock KP. And it might just be he's not as strong, he's not as big, it's just not how he plays. But if he unlocks a little bit of that, I can feel when a guy's weight is off and I'm just cutting to the basket and hit me here, like find me there. I think that'll be remarkable. Um, and Leverage the, is hard for a 7-3 guy on, yeah. the, on the idea of wrestling. Low man wins. Mm-hmm. You know, the same sure. thing you kind of apply to football. But, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's, that is a bit of a challenge for him. Yeah. Will, Your wrestling will, uh, days, you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do remember those in my wrestling and days. Then, yes. And then looking at, there was a stat I think they brought up on the broadcast of the night. I don't know if you were working this game or not, Mark, but it was uh, drive, field goal percentage on drives to the basket. Yeah, that was Wednesday. We yeah, brought that, that was, up in the Charlotte game. It was a Charlotte game, right? Like mm-hmm. it, was, it was JB and it was, it was Luca. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Finney Smith. Finney yeah, they were five, six, Doe seven in there. the league. Yeah. And, okay, if you have those guys, I'm not saying repeat that exact thing because that's really, really difficult. You've got to be really, really good for a whole season to do it. Right. But if you have those three guys doing what they do and then Dwight Powell dunking on you every sixth possession because he's just smarter and faster and does the dirty work better than your big man, like that's how you get great three-point looks. Like that's an offense that I can work with. And not that we need any help on offense. Uh, maybe from last year we do, but in the past we've we've shown the uh, the ability to play better than anybody else in the history of basketball. But if those guys are constantly at the rim and constantly making shots at the rim, like JB Doe Luca did last year, and then Dwight Powell's in your front your front uh, front five starting five, I think that is that you you don't have a solve for it defensively. There's just not a scheme you're going to draw up 
that's like, yep, got that one. Um, so I'm excited about Dwight Powell at the five, or at least whatever we want to call it, four or five, but in the starting five. And number one, sometimes you just need a dude that does all the dirty work mm-hmm. and talks really well on defense. Yeah. Dwight Powell is plus plus in both those, both those categories. The cool thing will be now this week, whenever real games happen, we'll get to see what the vision is for how they close games. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Jake Kidd has been very upfront and open about what they want to do to start games. Uh, obviously, since these have been preseason games and the end of the roster guys have been out on the floor at the end of the games, now in a real game, I'm quite excited to see, okay, what does the end of the game lineup look like? Does it look like what I think what Brian said a minute ago? It's KP at the five, Luca, Tim, Finney, Smith, and then either another playmaker in Brunson or another wing defender in Bullock. I mean, I think that's what seems like logically you would mm-hmm. think it will be quite often, but maybe there's wrinkles that they have planned that we don't even know about it. For example, against Atlanta, uh, maybe you feel like that you need Kleba um, uh, out there because you want a rangier big to kind of handle John Collins. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, no, notorious Mavs killer, John Collins, who's had like 30-plus points and the last three or three of the last four games that he's played against the Mavs, maybe it's, you know, maybe Kleba's on the floor and it's not Bullock, or maybe it is Reggie, who knows. But we'll start getting a taste of that, and that to me is super important to know how, you know, we know how they want to start games. Now, how do they want to finish games? Yeah, I wonder if it'll be Maxi, like, say they're up three with 10 seconds left. Like, right. Do you have KP out there? Uh, I don't know. You know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so defensively, yeah, a lot of us a we lot. have we've gone like twenty minutes into this thing. We haven't <laughs> talked about like the big focus that yeah, Jake Kidd has yeah. said, which is we have to get better on the defense. Yeah, now of course okay. defense was the big focus last year as well, and it didn't really bear itself out in the in the regular season at, at least. But um, a lot of us are learning what the term X out means, right? We're studying our defensive dictionary. Uh, last year the Mavs played a lot of drop, and then they sort of tweaked it midseason, but they still mostly played drop. They played some switching, but this year. They're, uh, they're Xing out, which is like a weak side thing where you got basically three guys sort of rotating where they're guarding to take away the corner three. You got tagging the roll man and all that stuff. So you're putting a lot of pressure on this weak side defender, whether it's Maxi or KP, to come swoop in and protect the rim. Um, but other than just strategy, like it seems like effort-wise, these guys are playing harder too. So it's not like a simple X's and O's thing. I mean, it really does seem like a mindset that they're buying into at least through four preseason games. And it needs to be a mindset that they buy into because this is where I uh, start playing historian. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know this. I know this play in your playbook. Eighteenth <laughs> two years ago, defensive rating. Twenty-first last year. Now, granted, there were times that I think it was like I think it was sixteenth or seventeenth going into the last game of the season, and then they were really bad at that game against Minnesota. But they were like a point yeah. and a half out of like twelve or something. I mean, they were. Yeah. It was very, very. They had fun some really moments. good stretches yeah. too. They had a couple months in there yeah. last year. I think where yeah. they were there. Like they got a, they got a week off due to the storms, and they they yeah. killed it for like a month. Yeah, they figured out the defense. Yeah. So so at the end of the day, they were you know you are what uh, the numbers say you are. Uh, if I may quote Bill Parcells, they were the twenty-first rated defense in the league last year. And, you know, it's just a number that has to improve because uh, when you look at people and I, I don't I hate even putting like this kind of thought out into the universe. Let's see this team win a playoff series for the first time since 2011 before we start putting higher level of expectations. But in the big picture uh, to compete at the highest level, to be in it, to win it at the highest level. The pool of teams that do that, that go on to do that, are always universally going to be top 10 offenses and top 10 defenses. And you have to go all the way back to 2004. Brian's heard me say this before. 
You have to go back to 2004 to the Pistons, who were 19th that year in offense before you find some sort of outlier to that formula. And a couple of years, there were teams that were 11th in defense or 11th in offense that won titles. But, you know, we're talking about being .03 one-hundredths of a point out of, um, out of being the 10th place team. So, to me, that's not an outlier. Being 19th is an outlier. Being 11th by three-hundredths of a point in defensive rating is not an outlier or anything like that. So, it's basically being a top-10 caliber offense and a top-10 caliber defense is the thing that puts you in a position to be a championship competitive, championship caliber type team. Um, and I know that these guys have that sort of aspiration. Again, I, I think you need to, you know, take your first step on the ladder before we get to having those other bigger picture conversations. But defense is where this team has got to make an improvement. And I think uh, we would all universally agree with that. And if it gets to the top 10 range, then we get to start having some pretty good conversations, I think, at the end of the year. And if it doesn't, then, uh, you know, you're fighting and clawing probably to be, you know, where you've been the last couple of years. And, and I, I guess I have a corollary to that is that I don't even really expect them to be a, you know, top five, six. When I say top 10, number 10, number 11, like to me is good enough mm -hmm. considering what this offense is capable of being. I, I don't think they're going to, you know, they're not going to be battling Milwaukee in, these, in L.A. and these teams for best defensive teams. That's just not what they are. But if they just get to 10 or 11, which, as you mentioned, is a lot of times three points, right? That, it's like that, one extra stop per game. Yeah. You know. So if they can get to 10 or 11 with their offense, and you mentioned the historically great offense they had two years ago, it's not like they went down. Everybody else leapfrogged them, mm -hmm. right? right? The numbers that they had that they got best ever – was seventh last year. They were kind of just about the same. And frankly, I think teams will continue to increase their offensive efficiency. And I think the Mavs will too, especially with Bullock and Brown and they're added, added to the mix. So their offense is going to be just fine. It is getting that defense just to somewhat, you know, above average. And I think that that's going to be good enough to take them at least to be making some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you look at the team we played the last two years in the playoffs um, in the Los Angeles Clippers, and what they have more than anybody is just a wave of wings they can throw at you that are really good defenders, right? And most of them can score the ball pretty well. So I've been like kind of tussling back and forth with this idea of why didn't Josh Richardson exactly work last season, and why do I think... Reggie's not going to be in the starting lineup at the beginning of the season, but why do I think this is going to work a little bit better? Uh, and in my mind, it's because it's scheme elevation and overall everyone taking some accountability on the defensive side up a bit, and Jason Kidd, obviously, and uh, what the staff's going to bring um, on the defensive side. But I think in the past, the fan base has kind of looked towards, oh, you added this one guy, our defense is fixed. Right? Mm -hmm. Like you right. brought in Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. We should be, you know, five field goal percentage points better this season on defense or something like that. And it just, I don't think going from, you know, 20 to 25 on defensively to top 10 happens from one guy, no matter what. And so I think it just has to be all of them. It has to be Luca being keeping his aptitude defensively, it has to be Dwight. Uh, finding the right matchups where he can defend people consistently. And then the other guys, KP. Yep. yeah, KP playing defensively like we know he can, mm -hmm. um, having his mobility, challenging shots, right? Being a difference maker on that end because he's a max level player. He's got to be a difference, play, difference maker on both ends of the court. He can't just be 35 foot 
uh, raining bombs on your head the entire game. He's got to be somebody on the defensive end of the of of the court that can that can change games. There's no way we get to where we want to go without that. Has to be Hardaway. Yeah, has to be Tim. Yeah. Has to be Tim. And it's to me just adding depth on the wing that isn't Josh was a wing, right? But Josh was I don't feel like you'd ever throw Josh on a bigger wing, right? Reggie might be that guy. Mm-hmm. Doe, Maxi, Reggie, just keep adding dudes. Sterling Brown, keep adding dudes that are that profile that you can throw at these teams that have this just layers and layers of elite wings that they're going to throw at you in the playoffs. That's how I'm kind of like rationalizing it right now because, yeah, we, we did the Seth for Jay Rich swap, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're doing the Jay Rich for Reggie swap. Uh, if you look at it just like top line salary items, right? Right. Um, so why do I think it's going to be different? Um, and I think it's, well, a lot of stuff is different this year. Mm-hmm. And if everybody buys in more defensively, not because you're not focusing on offense at all, but because we got that trick down pretty well. Right. We got that down. Let's let's spend a little bit more time down here, right? All three phases. Let's focus on <laughs> let's focus across the board here a little bit. Um, so it's they have to prove it. There's no one I can't talk them into being a top twelve defensive unit. Right. I can't hope them into being a top twelve defensive unit. They gotta go out there uh, against the Hawks and say, you know what, you're not dropping one thirty five on us tonight. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna shut down some aspect of your game. So it, numbers and personnel, like I I don't know yet. I got to see it, but it's, there, there, the opportunity is there. I think John. it's a little of both, right? I think it's, uh, you know, Kid told us that he challenged Hardaway yeah. defensively mm-hmm. to up his game there. And, and Cuban said he knows he has it in him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all right, we paid you. We love you. We want you here long term. We know what you can do offensively. You're a starter. You're going to play a ton of minutes. You're our third most important guy. You know, bring it on that defensive end. But I think on the other piece is that, I think Richardson for Bullock, if you will, kind of mm-hmm. making that swap, is important because I go back to the playoffs and it's, you know, I put kind of maybe too much emphasis on the playoffs, but you know, when when Carlisle in Game Seven looks down his bench and has to stick Trey Burke in mm-hmm. because there's no one else that he trusts because mm-hmm. Kleba's hurt and Richardson was drinking milk and you know everybody else, he, then you lose. Mm-hmm. And Bullock is you already, not, already lost that decision. And Bullock is a guy who can absolutely, I believe, defend plus hit over forty percent from mm-hmm. where he's comfortable shooting. That does make a difference in a key game when you need that win. And that's the difference between losing a series and winning a series. So one player does make a difference. And then when you add a little bit of bounce because of the team concepts they're doing, I think that mm-hmm. can get you to where you need to be. And Sterling Brown and Frank Nilakina, who I, I want right, to give some love to Frank as well, but uh, yeah, it's also you can't underestimate the impact that just touching the ball more often on offense could have Absolutely. on defense too. You know, just less frustration. Guys are less in their feelings. How many times have we heard Rick and everybody else say, "Whenever we're not scoring, we let it affect us on defense." Well, mm-hmm. it's because you get five touches per quarter, maybe, and if you miss your three shots that you get because they're doing some other stuff the whole time, then you're gonna get mad. You're going to get down. So hopefully that helps them too. But uh, back to Frank. Frank was like my training camp guy, right? Like we got 20 guys to watch. We know what five or six of them do because we've seen him for a few years. So we pick a new guy that you watch. And Frank was my guy. And he made a play in Milwaukee the other night that I thought was sensational. So Josh Green was bringing the ball down the floor, turned it over. I think he was trying to kick it out to Frank. But like Eugenio Marui got in his way. So the ball just kind of bounced away. 
and it, Milwaukee has a two-on-one going the other way. So Frank is backpedaling, and, and he's the one, very lonely, guarding the ball handler, kicks it over to the other side of the court to Jordan Nawara. So Frank is backpedaling, then changes to sort of like a shuffle to get all the way across the lane, and then off one foot, jumps, goes straight up in the air, contests Jordan Nawara at the rim, and forces a miss. Like it was a two-on-one, and they had a missed layup because Frank covered all this ground and stayed vertical, long arms, just bothered him at the rim. And I thought that was amazing. And I'm like, I wish that Frank could play 25 minutes, but he doesn't have, you know, if the three-point shot comes along, maybe he could, but that's a nice trick to have. You know, it's a nice tool to have in the box. Um, they play Trey Young on opening night. Like, if Trey Young hits his first five threes, who knows? Maybe Frank gets in the game. But uh, he I was, would think Knicks fans would probably agree with you because why didn't Nilakina get more opportunities yeah. last year? I know, I know. Until he the did. last play of the one game, and it's yeah. like, what was he doing? <laughs> What's he doing putting him in that game? But yeah, I mean, that is the thing. Like Frank was tor- or, uh, Trey was torching him, and it was like the Alfred Payton show still. And Timothy basically game. admitted, okay, that's my best on ball defender. Now I don't play him a lot because of the offense, and that's where, you know, hopefully this coaching staff can unlock something so that he can play. Because if he's just playing in one way, you can't play, really play four and five in this league. But situationally, if you really need some stops, you can put him in there. Um, but, yes, I, his defense is, you know, I think we talked about it once we knew he was going to be here, that I, w- I really had little doubt he was going to make this team. And I think that, you know, there were times last year where the Clippers were up 10 or whatever against the Mavs, like in game four especially. Um, but in game six, game seven, when you're protecting a lead, like I bet Frank could have gotten the court in that series. I know Sterling Brown could have, and I know Reggie Bullock could have. You know, so if nothing else, the Mavs added three guys this year that could have played in last year's series. And the thing is, the deeper you go into the playoffs, more and more teams play small because they have the wing quality. Mm-hmm. So I think, it, yeah, it's a, it's a huge upgrade. But uh, who were, who's maybe a, a guy or a two guys that stood out really to you in training camp that you just kind of fell in love with? Maybe someone new? Maybe you, maybe you rekindled your a love with a player that you already know. Eugene. Eugene? Yeah. I'm just saying Eugene before anybody steals him. Yeah, that's yeah, your guy? Dude, dude looks like a pro, right? And you don't expect that necessarily for uh, a dude that comes in with that pedigree at that age. You're just kind of like, oh, we'll see what happens. That dude looks like he belongs, right? And we'll see it in a regular season game and hopefully a bunch of them and hopefully he gets consistent minutes. But uh, I think that's – I think you found one. I think you found a dude that can contribute in the rotation from day one. Um, yeah, he's a little bit older for a rookie. What, 24? It's going to be 25, like, around Valentine's Day. Yeah, I don't – that doesn't matter to me. Like, that, you know, uh, if he can contribute on a nightly basis, bring some physicality, some size, that he's he's bigger than most dudes that are going to be coming in that are going to be 21 anyway. Um, Some rebounding, some defense, can obviously score a little bit. I think he had some really cool preseason games and just overall in training camp, like, I think he brings the – brings intensity up a bit. So, I like like Eugene. Can he contribute – if called upon, because I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think I, I don't think you look at him as contributing on a nightly basis. Uh, but I think if uh, you get into a situation where there's injuries or foul trouble or whatever, and he's you know dressed for that particular game, yeah, can he can he come in when called upon and not put you in a bad spot? Mm-hmm. You know, not come out there and be a reason all of a sudden that um, a ten point lead turns into you know a two point deficit in the span of a couple of minutes. You know, can he can he play like that? And he certainly looks to me like he belongs on an NBA team, uh, you know, whether or not that means that he's going to be a rotation guy a year or two down the line, I don't know. But I like what I've seen, like what I've seen out of him so far. And, you know, hard play, floor awareness, 
more offense than I expected, mm -hmm. uh, more passing ability. I think that's kind of what I meant by floor wear, and it was passing ability than I expected. Uh, again, energetic, hard play on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, he checks a lot of boxes in my book that make him an NBA player. Whether or not that's a rotation player on a high-quality team in a couple of years remains to be seen, but I like, like what we've seen so far. New, new head coach, but obviously we've got a history of finding guys that can contribute as, you know, third or fourth bigs. Brandon Bass, Al Farouk Aminu, Brandon Wright. Go down mm -hmm. the list of yep. dudes that we've turned into. Finney Smith. Finney Smith, yeah. Maxie. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's the thing whenever you – and that's why I, I, I have such high hopes for him is you can go over there and you can say – some locker rooms you might walk into and be like, no one's ever made it, like, from my position to being a starter or getting a long-term contract here. Next door, he looks over at Dwight Powell, and he looks over at Maxi Kleba, and he looks over at Dorian Finney-Smith and just, show me how to do this, like what y'all did, right? Mm -hmm. um, so high hopes for Eugene. I don't want to oversell his involvement early on, but I don't know, halfway through the season, maybe Eugene's getting some minutes every night, and he's, and he's playing consistently. Um, to answer Bobby's question, somebody that uh, has stood out to me. Okay. You no, said someone it, that you fell in love with. <laughs> someone that, that I fell in love with. Wow. Yes. Well, I was already in love with Dorian Finney-Smith, so yeah. you know, I just uh, what. But the, but the unique thing I'm seeing is I think even more is going to be put on his plate offensively this year. Uh, that is, it seems to me to be part of the design, so Luca doesn't have as many touches and as many uh, possessions where he has the ball as much. You know, I, I don't think anything that has been stated is all about hey, you know, Luca's got to. Uh, you know, take fewer shots per game or anything like that. What I think the ultimate idea here is, though, that it's not 90-some-odd touches per game or, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever the numbers were on time of possession per possession for Luca or something like that. I think it's just more times when he doesn't have the ball in his hand and isn't the, uh, the extreme focus of the defense. And so a few seconds on a possession when he has a little bit less on his plate. And I think that Finney Smith will be part of that, bringing the ball up the floor. We have seen a little bit of that in the preseason. Um, you know, we're seeing him every year, I think, grow and be more comfortable on offense other than just being a standstill jump shooter in the corner. Uh, you know, we, we saw that last year. I think we'll see more of that this year. I just – I love how every year – his game grows, and the numbers, by the way, bear that out. I believe that Dorian and Gary Payton are the only players in the history of the league to improve their three-point percentage each of their first five seasons in the league. Now, improving it this year means that's going to vault him to over 40% because I believe he was 39.4% last year. Easy, let's so, go. Easy. Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that's obviously a really, really big number and high expectations if, if we're talking that. But I, uh, I Wait, just, It's a contract year for him too, right? Yeah, yep, it is. Sure yeah, is. So there's, yep. a, there's a lot riding on him for this year. But but he even, he said this on Media Day, and of course everybody s says this, but I think that there's more truth when I hear him say this. He know he said everybody knows I want to be here. You know now whether that means they're going to work out an extension within the window they can, and forgive me for not remembering what exactly the pr the parameters are and the dates are on when he could I do think that. That's uh, that ship has sailed. It has. Okay. All right. Well, uh, then, yeah, it's a big off season next year, I suppose. But uh, it makes me happy to hear him say that, though. It makes me feel good. Yeah, I, hey, I like Dorian. Yeah. I'm happy with Dorian here. He said he I said want him that. to be Matt forever. Somebody, somebody asked him about. I think maybe it was Brad Townsend asked him about contract situation and an extension, and he said, you know, obviously I let other people handle that, but you know, uh, I've told who I need to tell. They all know I want to be here. So I just I love Dorian. I love his story. I love just. 
everything about the. I mean, he's a just a fantastic individual. He is your favorite Mavericks. Favorite Maverick. Yeah, he's everyone's favorite teammate. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And there is, I mean, the, uh, the you know the the Washington game last year when Luca passed it to him for the corner three that won the game with nine seconds left, and we had him on and to hear him talk about you know Luca. Trust was me. When, was that yeah. when he fixed your tech? Uh, fixed the cord. <laughs> When I, when I did what? Remember, oh, you dope. guys were having a hard time. Oh, like, that, no, what? No, he, that's when, no. <laughs> that's whenever he did, that was the Utah game when he did okay. that. Yeah, yeah. He, that was not the Washington game. He told you game. to plug in something or something like that. Yeah, he figured out how to, he saw and looked down and saw that the headset was unplugged, had come uncoupled from something, and then fixed the headset so we could interview him on the Utah game after he had like a 23-point game against the Jazz. Like, yeah, and he you're, cussed you're on yeah. live TV, dude. He did, yeah. He's he very said, we, yeah, we know guy. that Utah, can I, can I say what he said? Yeah, whatever. He said, Utah shoots the shit out of the ball yeah so we know they do that it's like yes you're right they do yeah, you're do. on line feed switch over to mike real quick like very technical dough real quick Paul just gave that nervous laughter yeah yeah oh i know you uh, did, did, did y'all it. hear harp zinger the other night did you hear that on the broadcast i did not hear uh, it you were doing it you were doing a game but uh he had a pretty funny characterization of moses brown's play style okay uh i think he meant to say like he's like a junkyard dog right but he said, he's just real doggy style. Just, <laughs> I like it. And there's just like five seconds of silence. And then Ted Emmerich Ooh. is just like, doggy style. <laughs> he reiterates it. And Harp is just giggling for the rest of the game. It was so funny. That's awesome. Well, I, w- I would say Moses was one of the two names that I thought of because I just think that, you know, his ability to, his mentality of that ball is mine. I'm going, you know, rebounds are mine to have. I think can only be infectious on the rest of the team. And so, you know, in practice, he's not, he's probably going to be, you know, not seeing a lot of the court. Uh, I think Boban will be situationally like he has been. Uh, We're not going to see Clippers Boban. We're going to see against Denver Boban and things like that. A lot of DMP CDs, but uh, Moses is probably, you know, in case of foul trouble kind of playing, but in practices and things of that nature, uh, seeing how much he hustles and rebounds and all of that can only be a positive. Um, the other player was Brunson because I obviously, uh, you know, we had the taste in our mouth from the Clipper series, right? Mm-hmm. And just how he was basically played off the floor. And, and knowing, you know, we know and we know how hard he works and how every answer is, well, you just put in the work. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I trust in, and he's a son of an NBA player and all of that. And so seeing him basically come in and not show any you know, mental fatigue from that, but saying, I know who I am. I know what I can do. You know, we, We've talked about secondary playmaking all summer long, and he's over there going, hello, mm-hmm. I'm right here. Uh, so we shouldn't forget that because mm-hmm. I think there were many times last year during the season where – he was playing all the fourth quarter because of what he was able to bring to the table. And, you know, we talk about, and you mentioned Dorian bringing the ball up for Luca. Um, you can't underestimate how important saving Luca's energy is. Mm-hmm. We saw it in the Clippers series. Right. Frankly, I saw it in the Olympics. I keep bringing up the Olympics, but it was, you know, I saw the last two games Lithuania played, and I saw carbon copies of the Clippers series. I saw him wearing down in those second halves and especially in the fourth quarters where no one else could do anything. He had done so much, and he was basically worn out. And Jay Kidd has talked about it. We, we can't, you know, there has to be a mechanism to take the load off of him the first three quarters of the game. And 
Brunson is part of that. Dodo is part of that. Uh, you know, you talk to, you see analysts like Scotty Pippen saying, you know, how do you stop a guy like Luca? You pick him up the whole way, you wear mm-hmm. him down, you know, all of that. So having somebody else bring the ball up takes the burden off, taking some possessions off, having some other actions, having KP posting up, all of that helps save those legs so that come crunch time when it really matters in May and in June, he's got enough to take it over the top when you need him to. So, Bruns- Brunson's my other guy too. I mean – there was a stretch of last season where I thought there's no way we're getting back in this game if Jalen's not out there right now. You know what I mean? We'd get in spots and I got to have, we're down 10, like watch Jalen fix this just because he consistently made every shot he took off a drive, brought his three-point shooting up to 40%. He did all the things we asked him to do, right? And so what's next? What's the next version of Jalen Brunson? I think physicality and just overall just some twitchiness to his to his game and maybe some strength is what's next for Jalen and what that unlocks we'll see because he already gets to the basket whenever he wants to does he get to the basket and not have to like fall into the stands each time because he's getting bodied because he just gets there and no one's there can he defend uh some point guards can you find matchups out there where Jalen Brunson is is you know neutral or a plus defensively that's that's the next evolution for Jalen and yeah it's a contract year yeah it's year four yeah he jumped to 25 minutes last season and 13 points and shot it extremely well from the three-point line but I think that dude I think you're going to look look up 50 games in the season and say Jalen Brunson's one of the three four most important Mavericks on a night-to-night basis um and last year you could say for most of the season he was like number two yeah exactly I mean, it was he, took he was closing games yeah you yeah. had to have him closing yeah. games yes he's he's elevated his play to a place where he's going to get paid pretty handsomely and he's got to be on the court at every critical moment. And I just hope playoffs come around again and we're all proven wrong from what happened last year, right? Where it felt like they could roll out lineups where... They were they just could, too big for him. Yeah, they're just too big. And, you know, the, the, the bad news, I guess, is that he's actually going to be an unrestricted free agent mm-hmm. because of the quirks of how that contract was, right. you know, put together. So... You know, business-wise, it's smart for him mm-hmm. to not do anything this past summer because there mm-hmm. was a certain max. I think $55 million was the most they could offer him. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out. He's going to be expensive, but, you know, keeping your own guys is going to be important because there's no cap space left anymore Right. when Luca's deal kicks in. So This yeah. is what he was last year in the playoffs. First three games of the series, averaged 12.7 points and shot 13 of 22 from the floor, which is 59%. Last four games of the series averaged four and a half points per game and was seven of 22 for the Jaylen. floor, which is 32%. So, yeah. And, and, you know, it was a really bad matchup for him. It was a really bad matchup for KP. I mean, the Clippers were, you know, I, I think personally we would have beaten a number of other teams in mm-hmm. the first round, but we got the Clippers, and that's the way it is. And so because of all the huge wings that they have, it just – posed a problem for him specifically can i revisit since i just brought it up a minute ago the whole concept of i think you know what a lot of people may not realize what is meant by taking some of the things off lucas plate just mm-hmm. just so we understand kind of like you know uh, to give ourselves a baseline reference um for the second straight year uh and and hold on one second there's a lot to sort through here bear with me one second uh, carry the four so for the second year in a row Luca averaged 8.9 seconds of possession per possession um 
Last year, that was number one in the league. Two years ago, that was number two in the league. Touches per game did go down for him last year. He went from 95.8 touches per game two years ago to 89 touches per game last year, but still uh, touching the ball more than anybody else on the league on a per-possession basis. And uh, not only per game, but actually since he played a lot last year in terms of number of games, he had the most total time of possession in the league. So I think... um, to me, I've never, I haven't had this in depth of a conversation with Jay Kidd about it, but I think that a lot of times that's what's meant is by taking things off mm-hmm. his plate, just not having the ball in your hands more than anybody else in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that means that it's Dodo bringing the ball up the floor and secondary playmaking from Brunson and just other things that you can do. So it's not uh, the ball in your hands and one of the other team's best defenders up on you and just the exhausting nature of what that does over the course of a long season. You know? And, and that, that's the whole, we, we've, again, we're talking about secondary playmaking. Oh, why didn't they add a better secondary playmaker? We had the Kemba Walker thing a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. I was against that because Kemba needs the ball a lot, right? We don't need to go back to the Dennis Smith years where it's 50-50. Right now we're at 95-5. You know, 85 is fine, 90 is fine. I don't want to go down too far because Luke in the ball in his hands is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And right. you want to maximize that. That's the best version of this team. Mm-hmm. But you want to save his legs and his energy. So there has to be someone who is great off the ball, but when needed can play make and do some other things. And so that's, the, that's why it's so hard because a lot of these guys that you talk about, you know, it, again, it would be 50-50 or something like that where the ball's not in their hands, then they're not that effective, and I don't want to go back to that. I mean, mm-hmm. again, with the best version of us is when Luca does have the ball. It's just dialing it down a little bit. Yeah, how can you go from being number one in the league in time of possession per possession to 10th or whatever? Right. You know, whatever, just a little more acceptable numbers. Because so. in a regular season, you can kind of get away with it. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, you saw how exhausted he got, and that was the first round. I mean, imagine going, you know, three more rounds. And like you said, the fact that that same thing happened to the Olympics too, I think will only drive the point home more for him as well. Like it happened to him in the playoffs and the Olympics. Like I think now he can totally internalize like this is something that I have to work on. Like Look, this is not just a – it's not just like a system thing. Like I'm – I think it it will really signify to him that like this is something he's got to do. Uh, listen to what the numbers were in the playoffs. Bear in mind, the maximum of possession can be is 24 seconds, unless, you're, of course, you're getting offensive rebounds and getting the 14-second reset. But his time of possession in the playoffs was 12 seconds per possession. <laughs> the next guy on the list was Trey Young, no surprise, at 9.6. Lillard, 9.3. John Morant, 9.3. Chris Paul, 8.4. So those wow. are your top five guys in the league in time of possession per possession. Luke had wow. the ball for 12 seconds per possession in a this playoff is series. Usage the highest ever or just highest last season. It was like 40.6 or something like that in the playoffs. Uh, he has the highest usage rate yeah. of all time. The playoffs. In, in, no, in NBA history for a career. <laughs> I don't I don't know about the for the playoffs, but in the regular season he's number 1 all time. That's and look, we we've, we've been through, I mean, Jordan went through this, right? Mm-hmm. He realized, okay, I can score 63 against the Celtics and we lose. Like and I think that's something Jay Kidd's talked about and and other people talked about like, all right, trust your teammates, trust the pass as you always say, you know. I think he didn't trust his teammates a lot last year. And so he's like, well, I got to do it because if I pass it to that guy, he's going to miss. And what do you expect me to do? Don't, you're telling me not to play hero ball, but mm-hmm. I want to win and I have yeah. to do yeah. it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Kobe, the years that between Shaq and Powell, right, they were mm-hmm. 40 and 42 and bounced mm-hmm. one year in the first round. 
So, but he was uh, averaging 35 points a game. It yeah. was cool. <laughs> pretty cool. It was cool. <laughs> but it doesn't work. And he says, okay, yeah. I need help. And so, you know, a lot of it is, well, we need to get those guys in here. And there's, you know, certain restrictions on how you can do that in the trade market and free agency. And they tried certain things with Lowry, et cetera. But a lot of it is just him realizing whoever my teammates are, I've got to trust their ability to get some things done because doing it on my own just simply doesn't work. Yeah. And, and it I, might be just as simple as we said. Another guy bringing the ball up the floor, so that's a few seconds that you're not bringing the ball up the floor against a hounding defender. And somebody mm -hmm. else brings it up, and then you get the ball, and then the set starts on offense. But that's four seconds of time that you didn't have the ball, that you didn't have to worry about somebody hounding my ass bringing the ball up the floor. Yeah. And it can be as simple as something like that. I feel like their solution last year, and maybe even the previous three years, was just limit the minutes, right? Like mm -hmm. pull him off if he's been out there for eight or nine in a row. And maybe that caused a little friction. I don't know. I know what it looks like whenever he comes off the court and he does not want to come off the court. It's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um, you think that worked well in game three? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. you got Igor over there, right? Yeah. The dude he's known forever. Yeah. And then you got Dudley who can talk to him. And you got Tyson Chandler. And you got Berea. Yeah, and Berea, right? And so I think it's going to be a little bit different in just more people telling you, not that you're doing it wrong, this is how you need to do it, but reinforcing that message of, okay, I'm going to let you play these minutes right here, this chunk of time that you really want to be out there. But, man, you got to let some of this other stuff go. you got to let Dodo bring the ball up. you got to let Jalen be out there with you and commit to guarding whoever this other person is. you got to buy into this because this hero ball stuff and having the ball in your hands for 20 seconds of a 24-second shot clock, it only gets you so far. Well, let me just say this, too, by the way, that I loved how Jason – kid said it on media day mm -hmm. uh, because this is a lot nicer way and this is a lot better way to say it and it's a lot more complimentary to say it uh, it's a young Picasso and you know somebody at some point in time probably I guess had to tell Picasso to use all the paints so I think that's uh, did that really happen <laughs> did, did I don't know Picasso's if somebody teacher in third grade say use all your paints yeah use Picasso. all your paints when you do Guernica why do you hate purple so much man come on uh, yeah I mean because like statistically speaking Luca doing anything is the best playing basketball. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Luca like staring at the ceiling with a thumb up his butt is going to be the most efficient play in the mm -hmm. NBA. Okay. So like it is by nature a sacrifice for him to pass the ball. But like well, they're productive. There's that, well, not a sacrifice. That's that's I think he's a very willing passer. Yeah, 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 but I'm saying like to totally defer, yeah. you know, especially if they miss 5 shots in a row. Mm -hmm. But like sometimes there's a productive sort of you know, and I think that we, to a man, we would say that he's probably like the most talented player in the NBA. Like, I, you know, we're not. Well, well he was there. the number. Uh, here, let's put it in these guys' hands. He <laughs> was the number one person picked on the GM survey of if you had a young player to build your team around, who would it be? And mm -hmm. this year, it was Luca. Luca barely edged out Giannis as the top pick for who's the Finals MVP. Yeah, the top pick yeah. for the young player that you would want to have your team build yeah, around. But I'm so, saying I'm saying that to say like you know we're up here talking about he's got to pass more hero ball and stuff, but that's like in a, it's in a productive way. Like we love Luca. You know, this isn't like a no. Well, there's nothing negative here. It's just in the playoffs. Regular season is one thing. The playoffs. You know, they key on you. They're going to yeah. trap you. It's going to cost you. do all of that, and they're going to force the ball out of your hands. You know, that will make you work your ass off when you do have the ball in your hands. Right. Yeah. And that's not fun. And do you have the legs in the fourth to withstand that? Mm. It's, it's one of those benchmarks that every legendary, elite, great player is going to hit, right? Uh, when am I going to start taking my body serious 365 days out of the year? 
when am I going to start deferring to and my we've teammates? Seen, look at him this year, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we're not having the the fat Luke. He held the weight in that one picture. He held the weight, <laughs> yeah. and it was it was nice. It says these 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 check marks. Once you get in the league, like there's so much about just being good at this game of basketball. Get that part down. Maybe some you know deviations of your game that learn something new every off season. But there is. Okay, when's your body going to be right? When are you going to commit to be a professional athlete 365 days out of the year? When are you going to lean on your teammates and trust them to deliver in moments that you either can't or they're the, that's the right play? That's the right play. And, yeah, we've seen him pass the dough in the Washington game and other examples of, yeah, he'll make the right pass. Yeah, passed but, to Dodo in the Portland game. They didn't win mm-hmm. it. But he hit the shot that tied it, and then Lillard came down and hit a shot. And, of course, Clement Propelich in the, in the semifinal game against France. He gave it up last possession of the game. Right. They got a layup out of it. Yeah. Right. And one of the other landmarks in there is keeping your head no matter what happens. Realizing, like, you're playing against other guys that are going to get frustrated too and don't let them frustrate you and get you heated and start running too fast or taking a bunch of shots or speeding the ball up or heating the ball up for no reason, right? You just got to get into this mode where you're, you're a surgeon about it. And I'm just going to drive this other team crazy this entire game. And he's already so good without, I think, mastering all three of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So if you get to 10 out of 10 on all three of those scales, like, you're talking about one of the best players that's ever lived. And Jake Kidd is going to help a lot there because, listen, he was an impetuous, feisty player early mm-hmm. in his career who didn't have great relationships with his coaches. Yeah. And – now he's on the other side of that. You know, you know, as a parent, you're, you're probably thinking about how your parents are like, oh, okay, you know, that, wow, I, mm-hmm. you know, thanks. Right. Right? Yeah. Because you're on the other side. They're, of that they're my favorite superheroes now. Right. Well, anyway, it's raised the child. I'm like, y'all are incredible. So, you know, kid knows exactly what, especially as a point guard with vision mm-hmm. that other people don't get. Well, Jay Kid gets it and he sees it. And so he knows it, and he knows how to deal with refs, and he knows how to deal with other players and, and all of that. And so I think that while Luca knew Rick as an X's and O's guy was really good, as Mark has said, I overvalued the X's and O's. I'm now valuing the relationship. Mm-hmm. And the relationship is key because if you can't get your message across to your player, and let's be honest, those lines were broken, however you want to put it, They've been broken over the last few years, not with just Luca, but in general. So now with with Kid in there, you know, we talked about DP starting and the communication there, and 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 just everybody is on the same page, and there's these things aren't festering, mm-hmm. and so I think that is a huge aspect to help him grow maturity wise. I loved the I, I said uh, I told you Brian on our on our Patreon pod I loved the line at the press conference in Ljubljana this summer when the contract extension was signed, which is, I'm just there when he needs it to try to help him get the right answers on the test. You know, I thought that was a really unique, interesting way to put it. And, you know, embrace it, love it. I think it's awesome. And, and, it's, and you know, there have been a lot of things said, as there always are, by the way, when coaching changes happen. Uh, you know, KP was one of the guys who said this probably most, uh, in a most, the most forthright manner and, but Tim did to some degree, too, on media day, that it's just, uh, you know, there's fresh air that's in a facility uh, whenever something like that happens. So, you know, there's always good vibes, uh, you know, when you, when you start this journey. Or, you know, in 95% of cases, anyway, there's good vibes when you start this journey. So everything that we're hearing 
uh, about communication and accountability. Uh, you know, all of those things are super duper positive at this point, not just regarding J Kid Luca, but regarding J Kid everybody and everybody communicating in his way, the way he's communicating with other people, the coaching staff, everything, Nico. It's just, you know, it's, it's all very, very feel good right now. Now, of course, let's get into the twists and turns of a season, and there's obstacles and hurdles yeah. and unexpected things around the bend of each river, and you never know what's going to be there, and so there's all sorts of challenges to it. But let's. What uh, have I been preaching since the the, the Lithuania? Oh yeah, the, the Slovenia performance Slovenia in the Olympics press yeah. conference, chemistry and trust. Yes, right. He gave us the keys. He, mm -hmm. I wrote the article in D Magazine. If you want to go to their sports uh, blog, that was my article. Mm -hmm. Was you know he told us. When asked by Cooperstein, and I forget who asked the first one, you know, what are the what did you learn from the Olympics, and what were the key what are the keys to turning this thing around for the Mavs? Mm -hmm. And he said chemistry and trust. He didn't say X's and O's or anything like that. Yeah, or it was, three and D wing. <laughs> like you know, yeah. yeah. So everything we're talking about in terms of what kids doing, in terms of what Nico has brought in, in terms of the structure of the whole organization, we haven't mm -hmm. really talked about him, but you know, bringing that culture in because mm -hmm. he's the culture setter. Uh, has laid the groundwork of the chemistry and the trust leads to me then just being in a position where I listen to you mm -hmm. and, and take your advice and go from there and then you slap X's and O's on top of that. Yeah, and I think Jacob has been humbled by his previous two stops. No question. And has been taking notes in the background for a while of saying, you know what, you can have all this talent and all these other things, but if you guys don't communicate and they don't like each other and they don't want to play their asses off for each other, it doesn't really matter. He's, um, he's, he's openly admitted, and without getting into all the specifics, because we're probably running out of time. We've been here over an hour. But uh, I assume we are. I mean, Bobby did say we were going to go three hours, so I don't know. If he was <laughs> yeah, this serious, is part one. Yeah. We're going to take a break and be back. <laughs> but, but I love what he said to say about you know, what he's learned from Frank Bogle, you know, mm -hmm. what, he, what he saw out of Bogle, uh, how he communicated with people. He's uh, on our... On our interview of the night, he, he compared Frank Vogel to Ted Lasso. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. He Love it. Be a goldfish. <laughs> so it was. I, I think the Lakers thing was hu absolutely yeah. huge for him. Not just Vogel, who I think he learned I don't have to be in control and I can mm -hmm. you know, speak softly but carry the big stick. But also, you know, having LeBron there and, mm -hmm. and saying, okay, I got a superstar, the superstar of superstars, mm -hmm. you know. How do I deal with somebody like that as well? I think there's a lot to be said for being in that gravitational orbit around LeBron. I think there's absolutely a lot to be said for that. And there's another guy on this team that was around him too, and that's Jared Dudley. Right. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. So uh, as we wrap up, follow you were you were right on with that. Uh, I want to give each of you a turn. I want to hear from you one question or concern that you have, because it's been mostly happy, but I want to hear yeah. a little bit of like, what's something that's maybe plaguing you, keeping you up at night? Uh, and then one thing that we haven't discussed that you're like super pumped about that you're just all pumped and jacked you're revved up it's 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 filling up your juice cup at night getting you out of bed in the morning after a rough night's sleep because of what you're so concerned about so uh machine i'll start with you or do you do i need to kill some time so you can think of no your you're fine okay. i just like to write stuff down because i'm old um so i don't know which order you listed i want in, to start with the bad and end with the good because i'm an optimistic person okay uh um, i like that about you i really oh, do thank you yeah i do the thing I'm most concerned about right now, and it's not even like a concern necessarily because I see this as a, now that Luca's locked in for what, five, six more years, whatever it is. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, six more. Yeah, yeah this, this is. This year and then the five year extension. This is a point yeah. in the journey, right? This is, we're going to get better at this next year and the year after. It's just that the roster is not quite to the point where you can challenge for a Western Conference Finals at this moment. 
um, because make no mistake about it, we've reached the point where first round fun is not what we're measured about, right? Mm-hmm. You have a top five, arguably top three, arguably the best young player in basketball on your team. Um, you can't be judged by, or you can't you can't consider it a win having a really nice first round series. We're past that. Mm-hmm. We're we've moved on. It's year four, right? Um, so just that the roster isn't quite deep enough and we need a year or two more to get those perfect pieces in place. Um, and I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love for everybody to play above their paper, above their expectations. And, and you know, Reggie Bullock is that key that unlocks stuff. And Jalen does take that step. And the starting five can be as good as we think the starting five can be. Um, I think it's a 50-win basketball team. What does that mean in the playoffs? We've seen our – we've had to go to gimmicks. <laughs> we went to Bobon pretty quickly, right, last year. And, you know, that's – it's not waving the white flag, but it's waving the I don't have the tools I need to build this shed right now, so I'm just going to throw in the ripcord. We're going to do something else real quick. Um, so just that the roster isn't quite where we need it to be in terms – and to go against Lakers, Utah, the rest of the – you know, the slew of, of monsters that we have to face. But the thing I'm – really excited about I think y'all brought it up a minute ago is I tell almost everybody that's a young kid in this industry or that I've ever worked with or have had as an intern that you don't necessarily need to work at the place you intern because people might see you as an intern the rest of your career and they might see you as that young kid this is a new opportunity for every one of these players to define who they want to be in in front of a new set of leadership with J-Kid, Nico, uh, Mark's still there but the rest of everybody around them, this is their first impression. So what do you want the first impression to be? As a kid that moved like four or five times growing up, sometimes I wanted to move. Sometimes I was like, I'm not that kid anymore. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm this, right? Um, so every single one of them getting in front of Jason Kidd and Nico and, you know, Duds and Tyson Chandler and, and Igor and all those people going like, I know what you might have heard about me and, like, I know what the rumors might have been and, you know, I'm sure I – ruffled some feathers at this last stop, but I'm all yours, man. Let's go in. Let's do this. Like, I can bring a lot to this team, and, and I can be, you know, your fourth best player. I can be your third best player in Tim's Tim or KP's instance. So um, I'm excited for the guys on that front. Uh, on the negative side, it's small, but I, I just – I have been thinking about how clogged it is if KP's – and I alluded to this a little earlier, you know, playing down low when they're playing a five, you know, because – Pal and Kali Stein don't stretch at all, for the most part. Uh, you know, they tried turning Pal into a three-point shooter a few years ago. It just didn't work, and it screwed with his head, and that's not who he is. And he knows the other way to play so well, as you mentioned, that um, I, I, I want to see that more because, you know, I know that they want to play a five. We talked about that. and We want the vertical game. Are our guys, you know, good enough to pull that off consistently? Um, you know, they're not at the Capella kind of level to play that style, but are they good enough? And is there enough room down there for, you know, not just kind of saying, okay, it's not working. Let's just pull KP out again and play like we did last year. Uh, on the positive side, I think, as I talked a little bit about, you know, just the whole atmosphere that Nico has brought in, you know, um, I knew him 20 years ago when he first my first year was his first year at Nike with the Mavs. My first year, 2002, he lived here. He was the Nike rep for the Mavs, and he's always been 
you know, he's exactly who he is. And, and I think, you know, as we've talked about, Rick thrived on an atmosphere of tension and he thought that brought out the best and it, it did for a while. And I think it just wore out and it turned into, um, you know, maybe an atmosphere of, of kind of just being on eggshells and, and when things spiraled, they spiraled pretty quickly. And now that, that Nico's in there and, and I don't want to paint this as he's a walk, you know, you can just walk all over him. That's not my point. It's that now it's a communicative kind of positive atmosphere where you can come to him with concerns or, or, um, you know, suggestions and not be shot down and, and it's collaborative. And so I think that that's really going to, over the long term, because we've talked a lot about the team and the X's and O's, but when you look at, you know, signing players off the street or the international scouting or the college scouting or the, you know, the, the health programs and all of that that goes into, you know, the, the guts of a, you know, basketball ops department, that's all stuff really important that I think is going to get supercharged as well. I mean, look at what happened. Sorry, sorry, Mark. Uh, look okay. at what happened in the 2020 draft last year. It turned into a snipe fest, like in the media, about who wanted which player. And, and like, now we got one guy left. Yeah, it was just so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everything was very every everything was very tense and dramatic last year. Every decision. So, and that was a buildup, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't mm -hmm. just happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good point. Uh, you guys have both had great answers, man. I don't know that I have a set whole the bar lot, high, but that, that's why I finished with you, Mark, because I trust you. To, I, I, to I don't know that I in the pros. Yeah, under, I, I don't know that I have a lot to add to it. I guess the concerns are: can all of these things that we talked about be like put into place and actually applied on the floor? Can uh, work schematically and buy-in defensively actually turn into? moving up the ladder and going from being a below average defense to an above average to just a somewhat, as Brian said earlier, a somewhat above average defense. You know, every NBA season, I said this earlier and you, you know, kind of laughed about it, but it's true. The, the season, there's many metaphorical ways you could look at an NBA season. Rick, uh, when he got his pilot's license, used the metaphor of, of flying as what an NBA season is. You got to get the plane in the air and handle all the things and then safely bring it to the ground. So let's, let's just go with the river. Uh, metaphor uh, and you know no river uh, is exactly just like this straight no you know no anything to obscure your vision you know exactly what's coming there's you never know what's around the next twist or turn in the river so there will be adversity this year everything is super positive hunky-dory right now but there will be challenges and adversary adversity and losses and uh, tough nights and tough games etc cetera, etc cetera. and so handling uh, the rough waters um, whenever the feel-good time of training camp has gone past, you know, uh, what's that going to be like? Because every team has to go through it. Every team in every season has to go through it. So what is it going to be like for the Mavs when they start going through it for the first time on some cold uh, December night in some weird place in the Eastern Conference or something like that when you've just had, like, you know, this kind of – had a really unexplainable you're in Detroit, loss. Just slinging back mojitos yeah. at the bar after the game because you're. I hope you I can find it. Yeah, I hope I can find a good mojito. Why do we got to play the yeah. Kings five straight games? <laughs> so, so I guess those would be concerns. Are all of these things that we think are going to turn out okay? But of course, we look at it from a perspective of, well, of course, we think it's going to turn out okay for the maps. Are they actually going to turn out okay? Uh, what has me excited is really I would echo a lot of the sentiments of what these two guys just said. I mean, that generally is really where my head is, is that there is 
um, you know, there's a newness and there's an excitement and there's an energy and there's a collaboration and cooperation. And not to say that, you know, none of this existed before. Uh, I mean, my God, this is a group of people that won a championship here at one point in time. But, you know, uh, everybody changes and, and life changes and, you know, situations change and generations change and people do and how you deal with people changes. And there's just, you know, there's it, it was time for new things and new ideas and new vision and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm very, very excited by that. That doesn't mean that I didn't like, uh, you know, what was going on here before or who, who was here or the people that were here, but you know, those guys all know it. I mean, they lived it, they know it. They realized that uh, professional sports is generally speaking a business of change. And if you can latch on to stability for a while, then that means you're probably doing something right and you want to keep it going for as long as you possibly can. But even the most stable of things, you know, ultimately, um, you know, number one, long-term stability uh, is an outlier. I mean, really the bottom line is professional sports is a business of a lot of change and long-term stability is an outlier. And, um, you know, the fact that there is change and it's change that you guys have so, uh, so accurately characterized in such a positive way, that's just, uh, you know, that's really, really exciting to me. And, you know, it's, uh, I can't wait to see how it all plays out over the course of a season. And historically speaking, teams that win championships, usually within the first three years of their new head coach. Really? Which is, yeah, it's always, I mean, if you think about it, Rick Carlisle, third year, they won the championship. I mean, that is a very, I forget who it was. I've said this on a couple different shows now, and I don't remember. It, I, it, I either heard Bob Sturm or Junior Miller talk about this several years ago on the ticket they just ran down a list basketball yeah. football junior, junior, Miller, oh, yeah, was junior. and yeah. then i did it i did i was actually on with those guys last year going through that not only that but it also takes your second coach for a superstar there's okay a, there's very very few uh superstars who got there with their first coach and i when I say few, I'm talking like three out of the last 30, something like that. Kobe so. had to have Dell Harris before he could get to Phil Jackson. Michael Jordan had to have Doug Collins, and I think maybe Stan Albeck before that, I believe it was. Right. Stan Albeck and Doug Collins before he got to Phil Jackson. I'm sorry that it ended up being Phil Jackson in both of those <laughs> examples. Uh, Tim, uh, David Robinson had to have John Lucas and Bob Hill before he got to Greg Popovich. You know. Doc Rivers with KG and Paul Pierre. I mean, the list goes on and on. And yeah. so you're talking about like Dirk literally. Dirk third. I mean, yeah. You're talking about Pop and off the top of my head, I can't I think there's one more that, that is literally the list. So And Kawhi with Pop. Basically, if you have Pop, you're in good shape. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a business of change. Yeah. Yeah. So when change, there's opportunity. Change is scary, but change is exciting too. Gentlemen. This podcast was a little scary at times, but it was mostly exciting. Spooky season. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, y'all watching this video, you missed Josh Green. He was in here earlier, but uh, he demanded that we turn the cameras off. So, unfortunately, we couldn't get him on. But he did pay Studio 41 a visit. And they demanded that he be on the podcast at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. He, so we're going to bring him back. We're going to bring him back. Talking but, uh, coffee with Josh Green. Is, is he I'll work on it. That's okay. not final. Okay. <laughs> it, it has potential. Keep ironing out. Uh, but thank you all for joining us. Eating Vegemite with Josh Green. <laughs> he, he's not a Vegemite fan, actually, so you better, you better watch it. He okay. like, is a staunchly anti-Vegemite. That's not Vegemite. a controversial take, by you the know, way. Two stones of Vegemite. Got him out of the way. <laughs> I've never had Vegemite. I have had Marmite. It's quite good. I liked it, so I don't know. Mm. Uh, I'll give Vegemite a shot sometime. Um, Studio 41, history was made. This is the first live show ever in Studio 41 that was not live. It's in the past. But thank we you, Chop. it with cameras, yes. Jason Chopper uh, man in the ones and twos. Studio manager. 
doing the stuff. Uh, Mark Falwell, Brian Damaris, take that with you. Uh, where's that? Patreon.com slash MavsPod. Yeah. And it's it. going to be on and the And then Mavs. also yeah, with, uh, we'll with uh, yeah, in the, in the Mavs everything. world. Yeah, yeah, in the Mavs world now. Yep. Yeah, even better. Uh, Mike Marshall, what do you do these days? Nothing really. Just tell you what to do. Are you doing posters and I've stuff? I've actually been fired for a few months. Oh, I just, wow. I just, I just show up and tell you what to do every day. You're like Milton on Office Space. You yeah. Just keep on showing up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, kudos. Uh, and then uh, you can watch us many days of the week, twitch.tv slash Dallas Mavericks. We're going to be streaming uh, the morning after every single game or on Mondays if we play a weekend game. Uh, haven't quite decided if I want to work on the weekend or not. I say no, but Mike is very demanding, so I might have to come in on the weekends from time to time but uh any closing words parting shots uh final insults or compliments or uh anything to to say get off your chest before we get out of here gentlemen saturday night is our first broadcast against toronto that's right that's right yes because the first game national broadcast so saturday (laughs) night and when uh that's an early tip right because it's in toronto i don't know man it's monday i don't know okay sorry well the 75th uh the 75 players will be announced over the next three nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Ooh. Thursday, depending on when this releases. And uh, Dirk being an ambassador is probably a good idea that he's going to make the cut. So. Yeah. Do we think Luca makes it? Yes or no? <laughs> no, no. Not, not quite. Next one. Not yet. What, what, yeah, year, what year will that look stupid? Next like, year? By when will we be like, that was really dumb. They should have just put him in there. So this is year four, so yeah. I guess probably after five years. Yeah. You got Well, I mean, yeah, you're talking about the last time they did it, you know, Kobe was just rising and all that, and he went on. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, like Luca Shaq will make it on the right? Luca will make it on the 100 year team, I assume. Yeah. Okay. 25 years from now. I wow. Think so. You're really going Whoa. out on a limb. <laughs> it's 2021. I think by 2023 we're gonna be like, what were they doing? Yeah. You know, like so those kind of hot takes from follow-up. You can expect. Mm. Take that <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching YouTube, Chopper, thank you for doing everything you do. Thank you, Josh Green. And uh, we'll see you around.